Okay. All right, well, uh, if you uh, were here last week, you know we started a new study of the letter of Colossians, Epistle of Colossians. Um, talked a lot about, the had an introduction to the letter, talked a lot about what was going on, what was the history behind it. Of course, we said it was probably written around 8060. Paul probably did not establish that congregation there in Colossae, as we read in the first couple of verses where he said he had heard about them, and he'd heard about them through a brother there that he was actually in prison with, Epaphras. And perhaps we talked about Epaphras may have been the one that brought the gospel to the town of Colossae, um, but we're not sure about that. But uh, it was in southwestern uh, Turkey, what you might call now Asia Minor then, uh, and there was kind of like a tri-city area there that uh, had congregations established in all three areas. You had Colossae, Laodicea, and then Heropolis. All three of those little towns were there together. Colossae, probably the smallest of those towns or cities, but uh, they did have a, a congregation of the Lord's Church that was meeting there together. And we talked about how Paul probably did not establish that church but had heard about their love through Epaphras, who was his fellow prisoner. If you look at chapter 1, and open up, you're going to be opening up your, your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Paul in chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of your love for all the saints. Interesting salutation there. Interesting beginning to this letter, right, that Paul writes. He's writing saying, I have heard about these things, but perhaps I didn't establish this congregation. I've never been there perhaps, but I've heard about you. You are fellow brethren in the cause of Jesus Christ. I've heard about your love for Christ and your willingness to serve. Well, let, well today we're going to talk about this church a little bit to begin with. What, what can we glean from this letter about this church at Colossae? And perhaps how can we see how they were living, or the, what can we see about their faith or their religion that we might be able to see some things about the way we're living or how we do things here in this congregation and so forth. Let's go ahead and read, uh, beginning in verse 3. I started to read there. Let's continue to read that. Verse 3 again. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. All right. So, according to Paul, this letter, they have a wonderful reputation, right? They have a wonderful reputation as being a loving congregation that bears fruit, right? I mean, what, what is the purpose of having a congregation? Well, first of all, we're all children of God. We need to be together in the family, right? But we have a mission, and that mission is bearing fruit. That should be our number one priority, to bear fruit. Preach the gospel. Show the world the love of God that he sent his only begotten son. Whoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? But 
Are all churches known for that? Are some churches not maybe so evangelistic? Are some churches dead? Hmm. You ever thought about that? Have you ever been to a church that seems kind of dead? Maybe you were a member of a church like that. Interesting. I've been to some churches. don't know that I was ever a member of a church that seemed dead, but was not very friendly, right? Have you ever visited a church on a Sunday morning? Maybe you were traveling or something, and you went in and uh, nobody said a word to you. Have you had that happen? I'm not saying, maybe they were all deaf or something. Maybe they were blind. I don't know. Maybe they had their reasons for that. But you kind of get the feeling that the church is not doing much of anything. And what's the point, right? Some churches, like Laodicea, who we've been talking about here, are mentioned later. Turn over to Revelation chapter 3. Let's see what John the Revelator had to say about Laodicea. It's the last of the seven churches that are mentioned in chapter 3. And beginning in verse 14, it says, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here we have mentioned Laodicea, one of those cities in the Tri-City area that's associated with Colossae. Perhaps the congregation there was established by Epaphras or, or, or another, not sure about that, but they've grown lukewarm. What do you do when you heat up your dinner and then you forget about it and you go back and take a bite of it or sip of it? Got some soup there and it's not very warm. Is it tasty? There might be a lot of good stuff in there, but if it's lukewarm, it doesn't taste so good, right? I don't know that you need to go vomit it out of your mouth, but you can see what... John's talking about there, right? The church had become lukewarm. It was not performing its mission. It had lost its first love. And, he, and if you notice what John says, as a father, as my children, I rebuke, I discipline. Why? Because they need to get back to the first principles, back to the primary reason they're there to in the first place. Get back to the mission. Well, we can have churches that are lukewarm, right? Or dead, that are perhaps not doing what they need to be doing. Why is that? What, what, can, what happens? What, what causes churches to do that? We're going to look at that a little bit today. Apparently, though, the church in Colossae seemed to be pretty strong, from what Paul is saying here. 
In this way, they were similar to the church in Thessalonica. Let's look at see what the church in Thessalonica said. First, turn over to 1 Thessalonians, and let's look at a few verses there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I can find it. There in a minute. All right, first chap, first Thessalonians chapter one. Paul, Savannah, and Timothy to the church of Thessalonians and God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. The church of Thessalonica, Paul refers to them similarly than the church of Colossae. Their great love, their great reputation. Why did they have such a great reputation? Well, let's look at that. Turn back to Colossians, and you can just keep your marker in Colossians. We'll be moving back and forth. Colossians chapter 2. Let's read a few verses for there. Verse 1, For I want you to know, what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the measures, treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh... Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Why did they have such a good reputation? Perhaps this verse says it all. Their steadfastness in the faith of Jesus Christ. You know, trust is a big word, right? But when you have to have faith, when you have faith in a, another person, Trust is involved with that, right? And when that person perhaps breaks that trust, you lose faith, don't you? It makes it harder to have faith in them, right? Well, sure, they can get that second chance and, and, and be reconciled. But trust is a big part of that, right? And that steadfastness that he's talking about here is what gave them that great reputation. They were not faithful one day and not the next. They weren't wishy-washy. They weren't coming to, together on a Sunday morning and worshiping together and then Monday going out and carousing with the, with the heathens. No, they were steadfast in their faith. They were trying to live their lives according to what God wanted, what the gospel was. And though they uh, maintained their faith in Jesus, through that we were able to see that reputation that they had, the love they had for each other the willingness to do the will of God. Every church has one, right? Where the good, mediocre, lukewarm, are bad, right? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they could say about us, we have heard of your faithfulness in Jesus. Some of you were not here 
at the beginning of this congregation. There's one couple that was back here. Brother Bob and Sister Carolyn, and there, I, I'm not sure, there's probably a couple others over there that were gathering in Bob's home. I don't know, is anybody else here still here that were here at that time? No, they're all, they've all moved on or, or passed on. Okay. <clears throat> but what kind of reputation does this congregation have? We're, we're a fairly large congregation now, right? We have, uh, I think it's five or 600 members. Of course, don't have that much in attendance on a Sunday morning, but I think it's around that number. That's a fairly con a large congregation, right? And a congregation of that size can make it hard to get to know everyone, you know, and, and, and to show that love for everyone, even though we can try. It's, it is difficult with a congregation that large, and I doubt Colossi was that big. But how many of you came here because you heard of Buford's reputation? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about that a minute. Why did you come here? Was it just in the neighborhood? Were you seeking a sound congregation? Did you hear about Buford from someone else? Or did you just see the sign out on the street and show up one day? Why did you come here? Most likely, you had heard something about this congregation, had you not? Maybe you heard that we had a great youth program, and you had kids, you wanted them involved. That's probably a lot of the reason why a lot of you are here, all right? Maybe you heard that we're trying to follow what the Bible says, follow the Word. Maybe you heard that where some of the congregations have not doing that so much and have become more progressive. That reputation means something, doesn't it? Reputation a congregation has of a loving congregation will draw people to it. That's a big thing. Now, personally, I, I, I'd like to think of Buford as a very loving congregation. I like to think of Buford as having a purpose, a mission that we put forth first and foremost to preach the gospel to the world. And then second, but just the same as the first, to love each other here and provide for each other's needs as much as possible. Helping, helping each and every one of us get to heaven, right? I mean, that, that's why we're here, really, right? We want that eternal life. We want to be with God forever. And that reputation has a lot to say about why you came here, right? Why you are here. Well, <clears throat> something else about this church, and that's kind of I've kind of led up to it, right? They were known for their love for all the saints. Paul talks about it there in verse 4. Their good reputation included love as well as faith. Toward Jesus, they showed faith. Toward their brethren, they were demonstrating love. How do we do that? How do we show love for our brethren? Well, we just had a prayer, right, for those who are sick. That's, that's a major way, right? We try to take care of needs when someone's sick, railing, or family members who have needs. We have care groups here. We try to provide for Meals for folks that might need help with that when they're having a surgery or a baby or some other problem. There's physical ways to do that, right? There's also the spiritual needs that each of us have. That's why we have Bible classes, right? We're trying to meet the spiritual needs that you have. Do you ever struggle spiritually in your life? Of course you do. 
probably every day, just about, right? You have some kind of struggle. Struggle to find time to pray. Struggle to deal with your kids in a godly way. Especially when they're acting up. Struggle to deal with a parent that's ailing, that has, so, has, needs you to take care of them. We have people here that are doing that. We just talked about that. There's all kinds of ways we love each other. We can show our love for each other, spiritually and physically. And guess what? The world doesn't get that. Right? The world doesn't see what we're trying to do. But that causes us to have a certain reputation, right? Causes us to, out in the community, people will talk and say, that's a loving congregation. Or perhaps someone may not say that. And it might be one says one thing, another says another. Perhaps they weren't dealt with in the same way. It is a large congregation. Sometimes experience is different for one person than another. But that makes a big difference, right? That church, just like in Colossae, has a reputation in the community. If that reputation is good, people are going to hear good things about you, just like Paul did about the church at Colossae. If that reputation is bad, hmm, that's not good. Might need to hear from John the Revelator. There might be some, need to be some rebuking done if that's not good. That's a big deal, isn't it? We think, ah, oh, you know, we don't have to worry about what people think about us. Well, if we want to carry out that mission, if we want to preach the gospel to the world, we need to have a good reputation, do we not? If you're going to tell people, I love you, I don't want you to be in heaven with us, and then you don't show love to your brethren, that kind of sounds like a clanging symbol, doesn't it? No substance to it. You need to have that loving reputation. And Paul says they had their love for the saints. Not only for each other, but love for all the saints, including those in other places. Turn back over to the first Thessalonians and see what Paul said, another thing he said about the church at Thessalonica. Why I have such trouble. I always want to go past Hebrews to find first Thessalonians. I don't know why I do that. Okay, first Thessalonians 4. Let's look at verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are all, in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Paul's telling the church here they have a wonderful love, and their love has gone out over all of Macedonia. It's not just in Thessalonica. It's not just in their little area it's over the whole whole of macedonia they have a wonderful reputation and he's saying there don't mess it up live quietly and continue to love each other as god loved you that's a big deal folks if we want to have a similar reputation what can we do we got to be loving each other we got to be diligent about that we got to be willing to Help each person in need. And it might mean you need to sacrifice a little bit. You might mean you need to take, get out of your, I don't know, comfort zone. Get out of your home. 
get out your phone. Might need to take some food somewhere sometime. It might mean doing a few things besides just sitting in the pew on Sunday morning. Making an effort to become better acquainted and loving each other. Like I said, this is a large congregation. It is hard to get to know each person personally. I, I have to say, I, I don't know everyone in here very well. I know some more than others. Of course, that, that goes without saying it, it. That's just the way it works out with a large congregation. And you can try to do that, and some are better at doing that than others. But that's how we have that reputation, right? We can demonstrate our love for all the other by taking advantage of being together. And that might mean coming to a gospel meeting on Friday or Saturday night. That might mean going out and doing a go-and-do thing with each other. That might mean getting involved in some service project that perhaps a care group's been doing or, or, or getting involved with our youth. All those things might mean you need to do some of this stuff, right? We can ask the Lord to help us in this way, too. If you're still in 1 Thessalonians there, look over in chapter 3. And let's see what Paul says there. Beginning in verse uh, 11. He says, chapter 3, verse 11, 1 Thessalonians. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may, also, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Another thing we can do is we can pray. Be in prayer about it. Ask God to increase our love. For each other when you're praying and sincerely asking God that kind of thing it makes it kind of hard to be hateful doesn't it makes it a little bit more difficult to be upset when maybe somebody wrongs you and I hate to say it but people get wronged in the congregation am I right <laughs> yeah we're human but all that means as we need to show that love for each other in everything that we do. Even when you're wronged, perhaps there's some kind of reconciliation love you need to show each other. Because remember, the goal is to be together with the Lord. And there's all kinds of implications to that, all kinds of ways that can be carried out. But we need to have that reputation of loving a congregation. We can help each other to increase in that virtue, right? We can assist, be examples, good examples. All right? Showing love for one another. Not preaching it necessarily, but being that personal example of what a truly loving person can be. By way of that, we can show we have a great reputation. Well. We also notice something else that he said about the church of Colossae, right? There in verses 5 and 6 in chapter 1, the gospel was bringing forth fruit among them. The gospel which speaks to the hope that's laid up in heaven had produced fruit in their lives. If you turn back over to Colossians chapter 1, let's look at verse, uh, beginning verse 21. And you who once were alienated, and notice these words, alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he is reconciled in the body of his flesh through death 
to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which Paul I became a minister. In other words, he's saying, if you continue to be steadfast, continue to be a loving congregation, what's going to happen? There's going to be fruit produced. And he's heard about their fruit. He's heard about the fruit that's been born by this congregation. We've seen this kind of fruit being born by the gospel, right? First is faith in Jesus Christ and love for the brethren. John 15, and bearing such fruit, they proved they were truly disciples of Jesus. When we study the gospel of John, what was John constantly saying about love? They will know you are Christians by what? Your love for one another. If you truly love God, you will keep his commandments. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You see that theme all through the gospel. What was the key to their bearing such fruit? They'd been bearing fruit since the day they heard and knew the grace of God. Verse 6, verse chapter 1, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So, is that the same as today? Why? What makes us bear fruit? What motivates us to bear fruit? Is it just that we're commanded to preach the gospel? Well, that's part of it. But a lot of folks get that command and they're not really motivated to do it, right? They're not really motivated to be a part of that kind of work. What is it that causes that? Paul states it right there, through the grace of God, which motivates one to bear fruit. That grace of God, that unmerited favor that God has shown us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through the sending of his Son. We, are, we can summarize the grace of God in several factors. If you have an outline, they're in there. We'll talk about those. I'm going to go through a few verses here, so we'll be jumping around a little bit. But go turn over to the book of Romans, and let's see what he says about that process there. Book of Romans, chapter 3, <clears throat> beginning in verse 21. But now the righteous of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus." All have fallen short of the grace of God. We can't do anything but be guilty ourselves. We are condemned because of our sin, period. Therefore, we're in danger of eternal death because of that. 
What is that eternal death? If you want to turn over to the book of Isaiah, there's a couple of verses there that are very good. Isaiah 59. Let's just read that verse 1. Isaiah 59, 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. <clears throat> Notice this. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. When you obey the gospel, and you become a child of God, you now have a relationship, right? Father, child, right? You are part of his family, part living as a servant in the kingdom of heaven, and you're part of a congregation that is trying to carry out his mission. Well, eternal death means alienation, means if you're not brought back, you're never going to see the face of God. You're never going to be in that relationship with God again. Now, maybe that's hard to fathom in our fleshly bodies and our fleshy minds because we don't physically see God, right? We only know Him spiritually and through His Word and through His creation, right? So, Maybe that doesn't seem as big a deal to you as it, is, as it should because you don't have a physical relationship with him. But when you become a child of God, a growth process begins, right? And through that spiritual growth, <clears throat> that should become your most powerful relationship you'll ever have. More than your spouse, more than your mom and dad, more than with your kids or friends. Through that growth process, your relationship with God should be the ultimate, providing you, as we read in John many times, that abundant life, that abundant joy, right? That no matter what happens to me on this earth and this life, I'm going to be with my Father forever. Wow, that, that's what being saved really is all about, being able to be with the Father in that relationship with God. Through sin, we are alienated from him. <clears throat> we just talked about, I read there in Romans 3 about Jesus being a propitiation for our sin. Through love and mercy, God sent Jesus to be our sacrifice for sin. Therefore, we just read in Romans 3, we are justified. By responding in obedient faith, we can be justified. What does that mean? You go to a court of law. You're tried for some crime, and the jury says not guilty. You just got justified, right? You're declared not guilty of your sins. You have that justification through whom? Jesus Christ, the death that he did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. Therefore, by that, we can be reconciled. not going to read it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is a good... Uh, a couple of verses for that. We're free from the guilt of sin. We can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're back in that relationship. No longer alienated from Him. And we get that hope of living in Him eternally. We, not, may, we may not see physically now, 
but we're going to spiritually eventually. And we're sanctified. Romans 6. Turn over to verse 17 there. Actually, let's start with 15. Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. Guess what? You're going to be a slave to something. Did you know that? Whether you like it or not, you are a slave. Can you be a slave to sin that leads to death? Or you can be a slave to righteousness that leads to life. Blessings or cursings, as Moses said, light or dark, which one are you going to be in? you got a choice. Through obedience, we are sanctified, set apart, living a life for God. That's what sanctification is talking about. Sanctification. Why? Because of his grace. You see, we couldn't do any of this ourselves. Not possible. We've all sinned, fallen short of the grace, God's grace. He loves us, sent his son to die for us, and now we can live with him in relationship forever. The more one understands that concept, perhaps the more motivated one will be. Are you thankful for the grace that God had for you? Is that part of your prayer, thanking him for what he's done for you? Do you live that way daily? and gratitude for what God has done for you, living, being motivated by that grace that he had for you. Through Epaphras, the church of Colossae had heard of this wonderful grace of God. And now he's fellow prisoner of Paul, and he's able to tell Paul of their love for each other, motivated by that grace that he was able to preach to them. Church of Colossae had admirable qualities, qualities for us to emulate, right? all from the motivation of the grace of God. Let us continue to be loving to each other and let us continue to keep in mind the mission that he gave us to teach and preach the love of Jesus Christ to one another. All right, our time is up. Thanks for being here.